1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Dishing with Digest. I'm Stephanie Sloan, Editorial Director, here with Mara Levinsky, Executive Editor. Hi, everyone. Mara, 2023 has been a really tough year for our soap stars. I mean, I cannot believe I'm starting yet another podcast this way, but I have to report that Day's alum Arlene Sorkin, who played Calliope, passed away last week at the age of 67. And it was just shocking news. You know, when her former co-star, Quinn Redeker, who played Alex, died last December, I'm pretty sure I shared that what sucked me into days was bow and Hope, but I quickly found myself completely absorbed in the scenes between Alex, Calliope, Anna, and Tony. I mean, Calliope was such a fun character and totally different than ones on other shows at that time, and she brought such a great energy to her scenes. You know, I had the good fortune of interviewing Arlene when she came back to the soap for appearances in the aughts, and she was just as wonderful in person, sharing so many stories and memories from the 80s and just about her life in general. Um, I just got like a small snapshot of her and felt that I like, knew her for years, um, and I, I just have to say she will be so
0: missed. Yeah, you know, I think the 80s was such a heyday for offbeat characters like Calliope, although I would certainly argue that she was in a league of her own. Sherry Anderson, who was a key behind-the-scenes player uh, at Days at the time, shared on Instagram that Arlene was cast... When Days was looking for a Cindy Lauper type to add to the canvas and that when then producer Shelly Curtis brought in Arlene, it was, quote, a done deal. I adored Calliope as well. I mean, it was not every day on a soap that a bride tied the knot in a wedding dress festooned with lights or married off her pregnant dog to its puppy daddy, but it, it just all worked. You know, um, Arlene also uh, appeared in sitcoms that I have such fond memories of. Like I loved duets uh, in which she starred opposite another world alum, Mary Paige Keller. Uh, And she also has an incredibly important place in comic book history as well, as it was a fantasy sequence that she did on days as a roller skating clown that inspired her college friend who was writing for the Batman series at the time to create the iconic role of Harley Quinn. Arlene provided the voice of Harley Quinn for many years. Uh, That role was most recently played on the big screen by Margot Robbie. All in all, she made a gigantic imprint on several important genres and, you know, certainly on the hearts of her fans Um, on screen this week days is going to be saying goodbye to another legend, John Aniston's Victor Kiriakis. What can you tease, Steph, about what fans can expect from Victor's funeral?
1: Well, I spoke to a few of the actors about this story, including Kyle Lauder, who now plays Rex, but got his days start from 2000 to 2005 as Brady Black, who was Victor's grandson. And he said he was not tasked with a eulogy that day but was so impressed by those who did have one including Eric Martzoff who now plays Brady you know among other cast members you know Kyle said he thought he had worked out his feelings about John last year when he passed but once Kyle saw the funeral set he had an emotional breakdown you know that he wasn't expecting just thinking about the loss of both john and you know victor within the context of the story you know i also talked to paul telfer who plays xander and they both expressed how because john had actually passed in real life you know the funeral felt like it was for both victor and for John. And our guest today is Rachel Melvin, who reprised the role of Chelsea for the memorial. And she, I am sure, will have a lot to express about the day as well. You know, bottom line, it sounded both emotional and cathartic. And I, for one, cannot wait to tune in, which sounds morbid to an extent. But I feel this will be a very important episode in day's history.
0: Oh, I agree. You know, And can't miss tune-ins is also the name of the game in the fall preview that is in our new issue, which is filled with all kinds of juicy scoops including that Nina is going to be busted on General Hospital and that B&B will be pitting Eric and
1: Ridge against one another. And on Young and the Restless, we're going to see Victor come roaring back to power and Phyllis's plan will backfire. Days is not part of our fall preview section because of the writer strike, but we do know that Victor's funeral is going to be the big story. So let's get Rachel Melvin on the line to discuss reprising the role of Chelsea 14 years after she left Salem. Hi, Rachel. Hello. How are you doing? (laughs) I'm so good. How are you? Good. I am so excited that we're talking to you today. Same, same. It's been a long time, but now we're going to see you again on Days, which we will get to.
2: Okay.
1: we are going to go a little bit back in time to when you were born in Illinois, but raised in Arizona. So describe (laughs) your childhood and tell us what kind of kid you were.
2: Oh my gosh. Okay. This is going to be fun. (laughs) So I was born in Illinois. My family moved from the state when I was four, at which point I grew up in the desert, which comparatively is very lackluster and underwhelming for a child to experience their lively years. (laughs) All (laughs) they could do is swim and stay inside because it was always hot enough to be the surface of the sun outside. So Um, I don't know. At the time, I didn't really notice. Obviously, it was just like very suburban upbringing, which my adult self cringes at the thought of now. Um, But the kind of child that I was, I think I was very outdoorsy. I kind of marched to the beat of my own drum, was in my own world. And then I was described as bossy, which I correct people now as you just didn't recognize I was a boss and you should have, you know, honed that in me to grow up to be more confident. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it's funny you actually start there because I think where I'm at in my life currently is I've really been revisiting who I was as a child and kind of how I've reconnected to that part of me. And it's kind of come full circle right now. So it's interesting.
0: I love that. All right. Well, when would you say you first developed your interest in performing?
2: I think truthfully around middle school, my mom had put me into this summer camp that was kind of theater based. And I don't even know that when I did that, I fully got the bug, so to speak. It really, for me, wasn't until high school. And high school was an interesting time because I think it, if my memory serves correctly, I could only do two electives, and I wanted to do three because I was in dance, I wanted to do art, and I wanted to do theater. And I can't remember, maybe it wasn't art. There was some third elective that I did, which clearly left an impression on me, so I'm (laughs) glad I chose that over acting, Um, because that is what I ended up doing. I was doing dance and this other thing. And then I think it was my junior year, there was a new theater director, and she came in and she kind of changed the not standard kind of the what do you call it guidelines so to speak for who could be in main stage performances and who couldn't it used to be where you had to be in the theater company in order to be in a production and because I had these other interests like dance and stuff there was a conflict so I didn't have time to do um the the theater company So when she came in, she changed all that. So all of a sudden auditions were open to everybody. So I was super excited because in other words, I wasn't taking an acting class like in my curriculum. So I auditioned and I didn't get the first thing that I auditioned for. But I remembered when she was telling the line of students that included me that we weren't going forward in the process. She was like, she looked right at me, like made eye contact with me. And she was like, but just because you're getting turned away now, don't let this discourage you from coming back to the next audition uh, for the next show. And she obviously knew what the shows were going to be. I didn't. And so I went back when it was announced that Kurt Vonnegut's Any Number Can Die was going to be the next main stage performance. And that was so fortuitous for me because it was like a 1930s kind of like Clue uh, production so there was going to be like trap doors and cool sets and it was a murder mystery and it was super fun and so I auditioned for that and I got cast as Sally Van Viller who was like this live 1930s flapper-esque girl so for me it was really fun and to be honest with you it was very um, reminiscent of my character in Dumb and Dumber 2 she was kind of flighty so, <laughs> so I got to do that and after after that, I kind of just had the bug, and then sadly, that theater director left the following year, and so I just, I didn't get to do another performance really after that.
1: Now, I did see something online, tell me if it's true, that you gave up a full scholarship to college to pursue an acting career.
2: Yes, but that's, let's not make that sound more glamorous and impressive than it is. It was a full ride to ASU. <laughs> <laughs> hey! And it was... And it's like not I'm not like just trying to super downplay it, but it's relatively easy to get accepted into ASU if you're a resident of the state and you have like a good enough GPA. I did terrible on all my tests. I was a great student, but I had a 4.0 and because I had a 4.0, I just I got accepted. So I had a full ride. And the cool thing, actually, that I, I'm i more prideful of was that I got accepted into their arts program, their theater program, which which was a little more difficult to get into. Yeah. Um, and I loved school, but it wasn't something that I actually intuitively felt or saw for myself continuing beyond high school. I was I was open to it, but it just didn't feel right. And my family's crazy. We I think I've counted recently that I've moved 26 times in my life, and I'm 38, so that's wow. a lot. <laughs> and um, one of those moves, I just totally lost track because I had trauma come up from moving so much. <laughs> <laughs> At the time... My dad was actually working at Universal CityWalk. And he so he was in California and he was commuting back and forth because he was earning more in California and the cost of living was lower in Arizona. So it just made a lot of sense at the time. So he would drive back home on the weekends, but in working where he did, he ended up meeting a couple agents and photographers and things like that and just mentioned like, oh, my daughter just did theater. She really liked it and like was showing them pictures. And they, they told him I had the look and if I was interested, I should consider going to acting classes or, you know, doing that. And I ended up thinking, okay, like that's an avenue I could go down, but I don't really know if that's like what I want to commit to forever. Because it was fun, but I just never thought about it past theater. And so I kind of left... I kind of left the direction of my life open to fate. And I was like, I'll just wait for a, for a sign from the universe, which I I suspect you're probably getting to this story, right, Steph? So I'm just getting getting ahead of you. Well, go ahead. Tell us. Okay. <laughs> so at the time, my grandma lived with us. She lived with us for the majority of my life. And my grandma loved bingo. And in Arizona, there's a lot of casinos. So she would go to the casino almost every weekend to play bingo. And when I turned 18, the state law at the time was when you were 18, you could gamble. And they changed it to 21, I think, the summer that I turned 18. So I saw like three or four months where I could go with my grandma and gamble before I couldn't anymore. So I went and I played bingo with her and I I won the jackpot, which for me it was so crazy. It's so funny. It was $600 and I was crying because I'd never seen that much money in my life. So I was like, oh, my God, I'm rich. <laughs> and I was like freaking out. I didn't have to share the jackpot with anybody. And the kind of I, I like to look at these things because they just like make me warm and fuzzy inside. The cool part about the game of bingo, if if you've never played bingo before in a bingo hall, there's so many different kinds. It's not just like diagonal, across, vertical, horizontal. They do things like four corners, a picture frame, and the picture frame was around the center star. And that was the one that I won, which was just cool because I ended up using that money to pay for the acting classes that I had been looking at that were also exactly $600. So I took that as my sign and I enrolled in acting class. And then my parents would, (laughs) by this point, my dad had moved back to Arizona. And then they were driving still every weekend. They were now driving me to LA to take these acting classes. And then we would drive back.
0: So I get the sense that they were supportive uh, between the driving and the introducing, the showing the pictures to the agents.
2: I might be the only person in the world that can say my parents were advocating for me to not go to college. (laughs) And then the only person that can say they were also advocating for me to be an actor (laughs) (laughs) instead of that. Um, but I do, I do want to just say they weren't like stage parents at all. My, my dad had actually gone to college for screenwriting. So I think for him, there was an element of like kind of living vicariously through me and exploring an avenue he never did. Mm-hmm. So it was really cool to have their support. And they, because they had moved so much, they knew people in so many different places that it was easy for them to trust that I'd be in good hands so far away.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, once you got to
1: LA, how did you go about breaking into the business?
2: So. I got super lucky, which I hate that word because to me, it Im- it immediately implies that that's all that's involved, which isn't the case, but it is a part of it. So my parents had put me in touch with a relative, a distant cousin who was in her 60s. I'd never met her. And I was living with her, just working a normal job where my dad had used to work at- in CityWalk. And I would commute from Chatsworth where she lived to go work in CityWalk. And I was still in these acting classes and I, I guess I got ahead of myself. Uh, what prompted me to move to Chatsworth was after I went through my first acting class, um, my acting coach had contacted my parents and said, I wanna put her in the showcase. It's an intensive like eight or 12 week, I can't remember course where we work on a couple scenes and then we, we perform them in front of industry professionals with the hopes that they'll get signed with an agent or a manager. And so my parents made the accommodations for me to live out here because that was one of the things that they said would need to happen. I would need to be available 24-7 to rehearse with my scene partner. So we arranged that. So I was I was in that showcase class while working a normal job. And throughout that process, my acting coach had got me an audition for an indie movie. And that was my first professional audition ever. And I booked it. And that was the first thing I ever did, which was Boo. It was this horror film. And I think it was booking that, that the timing was kind of um, similar, it kind of coincided where the showcase had happened, there was interest in me, I got a couple cards, but they weren't totally convinced to sign me. And then I booked that. And I think my acting coach just kind of became my publicist and said, you know, she just booked her first audition. So are you sure you don't want to snag her up right away, which was very effective, and they did. And so then I had my agent and my agent was very young and hungry. It's so crazy to think about how young he was, because when I looked and when I met him for the first time and looked up to him, he just seemed so much older, you know, Um, but he was probably in his 20s, which is so (laughs) nuts. And he just got me out a lot. And they had really good relationships in daytime. And so that was sort of how Days of Our Lives came to be eventually as well. Wow. Um, Okay. So before we get into Days, I have to know this. Yes.
0: Is it true that you and your dog were randomly interviewed
2: at a gas station
0: (laughs) for a segment on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno?
2: Yeah, that was when I was on Days, which was a funny thing because they filmed on the same soundstage as us at the time. So when it happened, I was like, first of all, I'm one of those people that talks out loud to myself all the time. So I'm sure people think I'm crazy. I don't care. So I'm at this gas pump at Costco and I was on my way to go drop my dog off to get groomed. And so I'm at this pump and I don't remember what the news story was. I'm doing air quotes. But it was something so ridiculous where I like furrowed my brow and I kind of like turned and and looked at the camera because I also always act like there's a camera on me. That's probably the most actory thing about me. And so like I turn and I look at the screen and I just like shake my head and I say some like snarky response to like this BS story. That sounds like so far-fetched. It has to be fake. And then all of a sudden, the anchor of the news story starts talking to me, saying things like about my blue Mustang. And I look at my car, and I look back at the screen, and they're like, yeah, you with the dog. And I was like, what? What? Huh? Because I think maybe my top was down because I have a convertible. Um, no, not my clothing top. <laughs> anyway, that would have maybe been a totally different show. Anyway. <laughs> So um, I was just like, this was so weird. And I still didn't understand what it was. I got in my car and I drove away. And then this guy was, like, flagging me down and I pull over. And they're like, yeah, we're doing a segment for The Tonight Show with Jay Leno. And I said, oh, I'm an actor on Days of Our Lives. We film on the same s- soundstage. And they were like, oh, that's so funny. Do you mind if we have you sign off to use this on the show tonight? And I was like, sure, I don't care. And then they, I think i had said something in the initial interview about taking on the way I was on the way to take my dog to get groomed. And so they, the producer said, do you mind coming back? It'll be like a really great button for us to end on. And I was like, sure. So I came back when I was, when Murphy was done getting groomed and that was that, it was just so random and funny.
1: Oh my God. That's a crazy story. I love that. so nuts. (laughs) well then let's get a little bit more into days so it was in 2005 that you came to the show playing the role of georgia lamarck um but now first of all had you auditioned for any soap roles before this one were you familiar with daytime at all
2: no i was as green as green could be and ignorance was very much bliss for me and it still tends to be today as well (laughs) the less i know bodes better for me uh however kevin my husband actually was just looking up my very first scene on days ever yesterday and i was like i can't watch that like i'm so (laughs) i'm so embarrassed by how green and terrible i was (laughs) especially my like french accent which i could do so much better now but but you know, I have to give credit to Fran Boscom, who was the casting director at the time. She saw something in me, and thank God she did, because really that woman is largely responsible for my career and the success I've had. Because yes, that was that was the first. It wasn't the first project I'd been on. I I worked on a horror thing, but um, it was the first television I had done, and certainly first daytime audition. And I'm going to guarantee you it was probably one of only 10 auditions I'd ever had. I'm, I'm guessing, but I had not been in LA very long.
0: So tell us what you recall about the actual audition slash casting process for that part.
2: So to be honest with you, I only remember my screen test. I don't remember going in there for the first time. There's like flashes of memory of Fran being like, she was just so lovely and so sweet and so considerate of the actor, which I would later come to very much appreciate because they're not all like that at all. (laughs) But she was great. And I remember my screen test. It was super fun because, which I think is very unique to soaps still to this day, and perhaps maybe even always outside of like the 30s, when studios would actually do screen tests, they would like do you up, they did your hair, they did your makeup, you went to wardrobe, it was like you were walking on to your first day of set. And there's a lot of nerves. And the thing that's really that felt really cool about it for me was because I was so young, and I'd really only done theater. And it wasn't a stage, a sound stage with limited people, but like a pretty large crew. It felt like Uh, like a main stage live performance, like you had that adrenaline that you were running off of. And I think I was probably more comfortable with it then than I would be even now, like going on stage, like going on stage terrifies me, the thought of doing it. But back then, I think that was the vehicle I used to actually calm my nerves and embrace them instead. But I remember being super, super nervous and just like trying really hard to get all my lines right and and play up the sexy, like flirtatious kind of uh, pot stir thing because I wasn't at all. That was just not any part of who I was. Excuse me. Um, so I, I was really focused on hitting all of those notes. And then when I was done, it wasn't even more or less like, oh, my gosh, I hope I get it. The the thought was more or less, I want to do that again. That was so fun. Like, I don't want it to be over. Please, please don't let it be over. And what was interesting about the screen, t- oh, I think I'm jumping. Oh my gosh, I just realized I'm talking about my screen test for Chelsea. And you had asked me about Georgia, the first audition that I had. And I'm telling you this because they were so blurred together. Okay. Okay. You
1: can tell them both together, but let's just for the audience who might not remember. So you first came in as
2: Georgia, who was the fake Chelsea. It was the fake Chelsea. And that, that was just, I didn't have a screen test for that. That was just like, I, I believe I read for Fran and then I read for the producers and I got cast for that. And I think it was like three to five episodes. I was super nervous. Then I was super nervous because I knew I didn't know accents very well. And I, you know, you always want to leave an impression because you never know what can happen or what a role can turn into. And you always want to take advantage of every opportunity you had. So I was convinced after I did that, that I was never coming back because I knew my accent was bad. I was distracted by it to where I couldn't really commit to like the actual acting aspect. So I felt really crappy about that. So the way the screen test for Chelsea came up actually was Mandy Musgrave, who initially played uh, Chelsea. She was with my agent at the time. So she had just booked South of Nowhere on MTV, and my agents knew she was going to be leaving, and they were going to be recasting her. So my agent at the time, her name was Mara. She, uh, she put She in, sounds amazing. She's <laughs> great. I've never met Amara. I don't like. She was the first, <laughs> first one that I met, not the first one I didn't like. So she uh, <laughs> she kind of pushed for me, which is what a great agent does. She kind of pushed for me to get in there. And I think her influence put me in a room, a very small room with few other people, which was great. And so I also, going into that whole process, had this I'm going to correct what I was ashamed of the first time I was around these people. I want them to see that I'm better than what I, you know, exposed them to. <laughs> So when I went in for the screen test, I think I was more about just like having fun. And at that time too, Mandy had kind of given me tips and pointers about the character because she'd already been established. And I had been on set to meet uh, Ashley Benson playing Abby at the time. And I I didn't know if, Ab, uh, if Abby, I didn't know if Ashley had any input or anything like that, but you know, she and I hit it off right away and we got along and I think I just felt really comfortable. And I thought these relationships are only going to help me if it happens. And and if it doesn't, like, at least I had fun and I'm getting more practice. And so then I kind of focused more on hitting the notes and just having a good time. So there.
1: Well done. Well well, well.
2: well well for someone who was not familiar with
1: daytime who didn't watch soaps, Chelsea might be one of the soapiest sort of origin stories ever right. in that. Yes. She was a miscarriage in 1998. I wrote that cover story everybody. And then lo and behold, there was no miscarriage. Billy had actually given birth to a baby. The swamp who baby. Turned out to be, <laughs> so, yes, the swamp baby who turned out to be Chelsea. So yes. I would think that would be a lot to absorb, sort of as you hit the ground running. But um, go back to if you remember, like what acclimating to a soap set was like and what it was like to now really be there and in
2: it. Oh my God. Well, I can tell you, first off, we had a stage manager named Fran who scared the bejesus out of me. Like, she is Italian. I'm Italian now. I feel like, I mean, not now. I didn't turn Italian. I've always been Italian. But I just mean, like, now as an adult, I feel like I would understand her a lot more. But she terrified me. So, like, they don't say action. They say five, four, three. And then you're supposed to count two, one, action to yourself. And I didn't know that. And so I'm sitting there and I just see Fran off camera, like, moving her hands, like, come on, get it going. Let's go. (laughs) Say something. And then I got like, (laughs) I just like got so I just felt like it was very much what you said, hitting the ground running. And for the first couple of weeks, I was always just like trying to catch up. It didn't last very long though. And I I had the luxury actually of an experience at the time because my first introduction to the industry would be what would become the norm for me, which is moving really fast, which is getting more in touch with your instincts as an actor to make quick decisions because. The director doesn't always have time, especially now, to to work with you in the ways that, say, a director on a movie set does. They're, they have to get the shots. They have to get through the script. They have to make their days in daytime. And so they're really, you can look at that one of two ways. I prefer to look at it as they're really entrusting you as the actor to do your job. And whatever choice you make, they trust you, understand you know what you're doing, which I think is a really beautiful thing. So coming off this soap, which, um, you know, I'm not segueing away from talking about time on the soap, but coming off the soap, I would later learn that, you know, those things were actually great attributes to me as an actor. But the transition going from daytime to primetime in film was very different. I had to, like, open myself up to the fact, for instance, where if I was being directed on a set, I felt like I was doing something wrong. And so my confidence started, like, going lower and lower and getting chipped away at so I do think that's a beautiful thing about daytime is it really does build up your confidence in that way where you can kind of make these choices in a, in a less collaborative way. And I don't think actors always want that, but I think that they should appreciate that because it is a gift in its way. And because that was the first introduction I had to the business, I, I really just, it was like a boot camp and I was given so many tools and gifts in my acting arsenal to work with that I am to this day still very grateful for.
0: Now, if your ears were burning a couple weeks back, it's because Julie Pinson, who played Billy, your mother on the show, was gushing about working with you. How would Aww. you characterize working with her and the relationship that you shared with her?
2: Oh my God, I love Julie Pinson so much. It's It's weird because, you know, Chelsea and her didn't have a relationship until she was a teenager, right? Chelsea and Billy. So it was very cool for me because I felt like what was happening on screen was what was happening off screen. Julie is very young and she's young to have had a daughter my age, I I felt like. So for Chelsea and Billy, it was kind of a similar situation where you're not... Billy's not immediately immersed into the role as mother, right? She's behind 14, 15 years. And so what you do in that scenario is what anybody would do who's not biologically related to anyone, right? We befriend people. Like my neighbor, she's 18 and I'm old enough to be her mom, which freaking blows my mind. But like, I don't talk to her like she's my daughter or my niece. I talk to her like she's an equal and a friend. And throughout that that process, there's a dynamic being established with Billy and Chelsea that's more friend than parent, I think, which we explore later in their story. But it was it was cool because the same kind of thing was happening with me and Julie. We were getting to know each other as adults and peers and equals. But there was also still this thing happening where she was kind of feeling like a cool aunt to me or an older sister. And we had this really cool rapport and her and Billy, Were so instrumental in helping me navigate the, um, I don't don't actually know how to say this eloquently, but they were instrumental in helping me navigate my way with the fans, let's say, because they weren't at the time writing Chelsea to be particularly likable. So Billy and it gets so confusing. I was like, no, I mean, Julie, but no, Julie and Billy. <laughs> so Julie and Billy would talk to me in the dressing room and they would say things like, listen, you just need to make her relatable and justify the things that she's doing that are unlikable is understandable and, and use this to help the writers write more for you. And that's how you'll stick around past the 13 week cycle and just be you and don't read into the things that people are saying about you. Or because again, social media really wasn't a thing at the time. So they were speaking more in terms of like fan events. When people come up to you and they seem like they hate you, just know they're, they're reacting to the character, not you. They were, they were very helpful in guiding me through all of that. But one of my favorite things was, uh, and I think Julie knows this story. But Julie, for my birthday, bought me a baby Louis Vuitton bag. And I had never had anything designer. Like, you know, again, like I freaked out over $600. Like, so I'm like, she gives me, she gives me this Louis Vuitton bag. And I remember opening it and feeling like I wanted to like bug my eyes out in disbelief because I was like, oh my God, oh my God. (laughs) But I was like, you have to be cool. This is very common for these people. They can buy these all the time. (laughs) So like trying to be like oh my god Julie thank you so much this was so thoughtful but inside it was like oh my god this is amazing thank you so much but she she just kind of did that she she was like a cool older sister she would get me really cool things to like make me dress better help me like you know have a pulse on fashion or all these other things and she did it in a very like very sly way because I didn't have fashion sense when I first came on the show and arguably even up until the last seven years so (laughs) yeah she was just she was just great in all the ways
0: awesome
2: um well right from the beginning you worked
1: closely with Darren Brooks who was Max but is now Bold and Beautiful's Wyatt so tell us about working with Darren
2: well people don't know this and we're both married now so no one cares but we dated (laughs) And that was, that was tough when it ended, <laughs> but, 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 you know, leading, actually, Darren was the first guy to ever actually ask me out. And he asked me out after his screen test. Oh. And I was like, Bold. let's just see if you get the job because I don't want you using me. <laughs> and then he did. And then he still asked me out. And I was like, okay. And it, it was so weird because at the time I was, oh, you guys, good luck keeping up with my family. So my family at this point was back in California, all of them, and they were living in Camarillo. So I would go up to Camarillo and Darren at the time was living or had been living prior to booking the show with his aunt in, in not Granada Hills, in Simi Valley. So it was weird that we were both going out there so often and stuff. So we had like a cute little brief romance. He was my first, probably real heartbreak and first, you know, love which sounds like so weird to say now that I know love in the form of a husband I'm just like oh that relationship was cute but anyway (laughs) so but but it was so it was so much fun working with him especially at the beginning when like Chelsea and Max were having this budding romance and so were we off screen it was it was really really fun and of course it's like fun to make out with hot guys when you're young and you know have a good time on set it was great and then, yes, it got a little challenging. That strengthened me as a person, obviously, but as an actor too, because I think there was a lot of lessons to learn being that young and making that decision to date a coworker because it, it would get hard, like when he had to make out with other actors, like, like. Was it Stephanie? Yeah, the character Stephanie. I remember like that was when we had just broken up when Stephanie came onto the scene and I was like, this sucks. This totally (laughs) sucks. I can't handle this. Um, Which is so funny because I think if you think of it in terms of today, like that's social media. People are seeing their partner or their ex-partner like, Right. Like having the live
0: feed into your
2: dressing yeah. room is today's yeah.
0: equivalent to being on Instagram. You're so yeah,
2: right. Totally. So I guess it's like nothing new, but people, and so people can relate to that. But, but then when we got through it, it was really fun because like at the end, especially towards when we had both left, uh, left, they had written us together again. And it was fun because it was kind of this thing of like, oh yeah, like I, Like we had something real and fun and great. And like we can still appreciate that, even though we don't want it back and it's over. So I think that whole thing was just kind of a a fun thing for me to live through and play, just in terms of maturing, to be honest with you. But it's, it's hard for me to separate it from acting because I was so emotionally immersed and in, engulfed in the young, crazy, wild romance of it. He was only my second boyfriend ever. So, lately. Understood.
0: Woman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. totally. Uh, yeah. Well, you also had to uh, play out a romantic storyline with uh, the character Patrick. Brody Hutzler uh, played Patrick.
2: Oh, my God. I totally forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, that was talk about immaturity. I was like, he's a grown man. Look at his body. I don't know how to behave around this. <laughs> like he wasn't a boy, right? Like no disrespect to Darren, but like Darren, Darren was like my age. He was my peer. I was like, yeah, yeah. he's a boy. But like Brody was like a grown man. <laughs> I was so nervous. <laughs> I'm sorry. I wish everyone could see my face. i
0: was going to like- to describe it. It's a combination of Horror and all?
2: <laughs> yeah, because I was like, well, I think it was just like, okay, I'm going to get really real here, right? There's like the boys you date in school, and they have a certain body type. You see them with their shirt off at the pool, and it's like, I mean, honestly, it's what I look like now because I have no boobs. But <laughs> but it's like, fine, whatever. And then you see like guys your age, and it's like their body is kind of changing, whatever, like yours. And then you see guys like Brody and you're like, oh, that's like a grown ass man with a model body. And right. then the only other body reference you have is your dad. So he's like in between my dad and the guys of my, my future. So in a weird way for me, I was like, this feels like I'm, this is going to come out so wrong and Brody would kill me. <laughs> but it was kind of like I'm segueing into this, like I'm moving towards men that are like my dad right now. So there was an element of just like just growing up being like, no, this is what you're growing into. This is the next stage of your life. But feeling like I wasn't ready, like I'm not ready to be with a guy like that. That's too much like my dad. Like this is weird. So it was it was like a challenging thing. Plus, plus I was just an experience with the emotions of of love in general enough to like feel like I could go there acting wise and portray it accurately and not feel like. Self-conscious of how I'm behaving, what I'm doing, what I'm touching, what I'm looking at—all the things because it's like he, he looked like a Ken doll, and it was the first time I saw that in real life.
0: That's right. That's <laughs> weird. It's Weird.
2: Very well, true. Let's hope he
0: didn't look, you know, one hundred percent like a Ken doll. If you know what I'm
1: saying. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, a man who actually played your father is Peter Rundle, <laughs> um, yes. who played Bo Chelsea's dad. So. I mean, what did you even, did you know anything about him and kind of what a huge soap superstar he was at the time you started working with him? Yeah.
2: I watched Days of Our Lives in high school. So, like, I knew who everyone was. Got it. I loved Lauren's character so much because she was, like, you know, the troublemaker. And those characters are always just so much more fun. And, but Peter, I always liked. I always liked Bo. I always liked Hope because, obviously, they were the good people. And not that anyone's bad, but you know what I'm saying. But Peter, so here's what I like about Peter. And I've I've come to learn this about myself now in the last 20 years I've been working. Peter is the epitome of the kind of actor I like. Um, because he doesn't like attention, he kind of keeps to himself, comes in, does his job, leaves. In other words, his identity is not formed by being an actor. And do a lot of people, that kind of personality, and I'm not talking about Peter specifically, I'm talking about other personalities similar that I've worked with, Including myself, mind you, it comes off very unapproachable and cold or difficult or like whatever. But I love those people because to me, I'm like, you have boundaries, like you have clear boundaries. And that to me says a lot about a person and how I'm going to connect with them. And Peter was probably one of the first people that I met like that, where I was like, does he like me? I can't tell if he likes me or if he doesn't. Like he's a man of few words. But then over time, especially as I grew up, To be honest, he's very similar to Jeff Daniels. They're kind of both similar personalities where it's like they're giving you a silent litmus test before they determine whether or not they're going to open themselves up to you. Which, again, I just really respect because not everyone deserves that. Right. So then that's just my personal belief. So Peter would over time open himself up more and more to me. And then it felt like an even more special relationship because I knew he didn't do that with just anyone. So, we kind of did have this what I'll call a trust bond there, meaning I felt like he had my back. and I felt like I could go to him with serious things that I didn't know how to discuss with anyone else. but i but I could also I think Peter was also just really excited by other actors that were really excited to act because i I always felt like my scenes with him had this silent understanding where, like, we didn't joke on set. We just showed up and we performed. And then we left, and were friends outside of that. And, that's not something that I, I would say in my experience was very common. Like we mostly show up on set and people are joking, even right up to the cameras rolling. But I always liked that about him and I respected that about him. And I I think as I'm talking now, I'm realizing that that was probably very influential in how I approached more emotional scenes and giving myself permission to shut down and be like, don't talk to me right now. Peter didn't do that. I would say that. <laughs> <It was quite laughs> too brash. but. But yeah, I loved working with Peter and I love Peter as a person.
0: So kind of a great segue to my next question, which is that at the end of 2005, Days wrote a tale that would honestly be even more timely today, right? Where Chelsea was using her phone while driving, got distracted and hit Zach who died. Um, So talk about heavy emotional material. What did you think when you saw that storyline was in the offing for you.
2: Well, I'll tell you what, I wish that I had the acting chops then that I do now (laughs) because a storyline like that, as you just said, it's a really good storyline and it's a great opportunity that it's like a realistic storyline and relatable. And I think playing it now, just being more grown up and understanding the gravity of it is something that I don't think I necessarily could back then. I think in my head, it was more or less like play sad. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Play right. play regret as opposed to immerse yourself in this experience. Like, how would you feel if you did this? Because that's how I would go into it now. And I, and I think, look, I, I don't know if it would be obvious only to me, if, if you had me play that same storyline now and then watch the two side by side, I don't know if it would be that different to anyone other than me because I just know internally what's getting me there. But but I think it would. Um, I, I wish that I had more of a grasp on how lucky I was to have had that storyline back then. Not that I wasn't. I think I was, I felt lucky about it in different ways in terms of like, cool, I'm getting more airtime. I'm getting to work more. I'm getting to be on set more which is totally understandable for the age that I was. But nowadays I would look at it differently and I would be like, oh my gosh, I have the opportunity to do this amazing storyline. I wanna nail it for no other reason than just proving to myself I can do it. And also that's kind of the fun of acting is just like having enough empathy to fully embody someone else's experience. And it's taken me a long time to realize, because again, this is not a career that I sought out to do necessarily. I wasn't like, I wanna be an actor. I think, I think for me, I was learning on the job about myself wanting to be an actor, which to be very completely honest and transparent is something that's relatively new to me. And perhaps even since the pandemic, where I had to pivot, I had to have other jobs. And it made me like really look at my career completely differently. Like, why are you doing this? And it and it was shocking the answers that I came up with, which was mostly I don't know. So then I had to explore why. Well, if you don't know, w- why does it bother you so much to watch other people working? Why does it bother you so much to watch scre- uh, scenes on screen that you're having like bodily like jerking, like you want to go be in the scene? Like I w- I'm on a suits binging escapade right now. And I will start to cry for the character Harvey, but like irrationally crying. And I'm like, well, it's it's because you actually, you understand that emotion and you really want this vehicle that you've come to understand is what you use for your own therapy to work something out. And the thing that I love about acting, I hope I'm making sense because I get very heady when I talk like this, but... The thing that I I've come to realize about myself is the reason I want to act is the same reason I loved Sex in the City for me at the time, and I'm gonna go back to like my breakup with Darren. I had a really hard time, and I didn't feel like I had anyone that could relate to me that I could talk to anybody about it without feeling like a crazy irrational psycho. And then I'd watch Sex in the City, and I'd be like, Oh my god, like someone does understand what I'm going through. But then it was used in a comedic way, and on that show granted my grievances with it now, that show (laughs) in my 20s was like, saved my life. It really did. It saved my emotional, mental health life. And that's what I love about acting because you get to tell someone else's story in a way that not only makes them feel seen, validated, and heard or justified, but you do it with the hopes that somebody else can have a different perspective to understand them or open their mind up more to that. Like, actually, this is very funny Um, my ex-boyfriend had, uh, was held at gunpoint at one time. And I used to tell people all the time, oh my God, he was held at gunpoint. Can you, can you believe that? And I was so casual about it. And then I just saw this scene with suits where Lewis breaks down because he was held at gunpoint and I was watching it and I go, oh my God, I never, ever put myself in my ex Tim's shoes to think about how traumatic that was for him. And how I'm saying it so casually is really disrespectful of his experience. And so I love I love that film and television can do that for somebody, not to just speak for the person it happened to, but to make somebody else soften a little bit and be more sensitive to that person's perspective. And so going back to the initial question, because I've got away very far from it, is I just, I just think that that story was a, a wonderful story I got to play. I think I did as great of a job of it as I could at the time, but, um, I would have so much more subtle commentary to pour into that storyline now. Mm-hmm. Talk a lot.
1: <laughs> no, Sorry. no, all good. All good. Um, okay. So then through, you know, the rest of the years in Salem, let's see, you were, uh, a flight attendant briefly. You had a, <laughs> you know. That was fun. Yeah, I remember that story. Um, You worked with uh, Blake Barris, Nick, and Chelsea were a big deal. You worked with Sean Christian, Daniel, and Chelsea were a thing. Yeah. But you did leave the show in 2009. So what were the circumstances surrounding your exit?
2: So um, my contract was actually up in 2008, and I kind of wanted to go venture out as one does uh, at that point. But we were, ironically, about to go into a writer's strike. So... (laughs) Um, I, I kind of did what I did that got me to Los Angeles in the first place, which was I said, listen, if they'll negotiate just doing a year, I'll stay, that will be my sign to stay. And if they say no, then I'll go and that'll be it. And they allowed me to stay for another year. And which was great, because I felt like they got to wrap up storylines. And then of course, they got to write off Max with me. And the circumstances were just that I I wanted to to move on to other things. It wasn't because I didn't enjoy my time at the soap or there was, you know, negative will or feelings with anybody involved. It was just a total like I'm I'm young, I'm out here, I, I want to do other things and grow my career and my experiences. So, so yes, that was it.
0: <laughs> yeah, 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 great. That makes perfect sense. So um not to jump ahead too far, but you referenced uh, seeing a little Jeff Daniels vibe in Peter Reckle. So yeah, you know that I am curious to hear about um, you being cast as Penny in Dumb and Number Two and your experience working alongside Jim Carrey and Jeff Daniels.
2: Well, let me tell you about the reality of being an actor. <laughs> <laughs> so I left Days of Our Lives. I was very lucky to do a primetime show here or there. I was like a little squirrel and I saved all my money to live off of. But that money ran out to the point where I couldn't afford to even move out of my apartment. So that ex that I just told you about that I reached out to to apologize for not being sensitive to what he went through, um, I kind of forced my way into living with him before we were ready. (laughs) I was like in pure survival mode. and, uh, And I had to go back to work. And it was challenging for me, like a normal job. And it was challenging for me because, again, I booked days when I was 19. So the only jobs I had prior to that was working at like an, it was called As You Wish. It was a pottery painting studio in Arizona, which I loved. Um, but that that wasn't going to sustain me in a city like LA. I needed something with tips. But I didn't have the experience of a server. So even to get a serving job was really hard for me. I had to be a hostess first, which you don't get tips. So and, and it conflicts with auditions because they're not just going to give me prime hours as a hostess I got to be in during the day. So I was like, oh, my God. And then the really weird effed up thing about Los Angeles, which I had been lucky enough to be spared until whatever age I was at this point. I think I I think I think must have been 28. Yeah, 27, 28. I went in for this interview and I'm thinking, what, I'm one of three people doing this interview to be a hostess? No, it was like an acting paddle call. Like every, there were so many people in the restaurant, they were all really attractive. And I was just sitting there going, Oh my God, now I have to get rejected as a server or a hostess. Like this is horrible. But I, I did something that my dad always taught me. My dad was oftentimes in charge of hiring. And he was like, the one thing you can do that makes you stand out is just call, follow up, let them see that you're eager and you're passionate about getting this job. So by some divine miracle, I ended up getting hired as this hostess at Stella Barra, which I don't even know if it's still around, but it was this really cool restaurant near the White in Hollywood. And it was a pizza bar. And I actually really liked it. It was, it was, it wasn't just like a chain restaurant. Like it was like an actual restaurant, like in terms of like there were chefs. So it was, it was cool, but I'll be lying if I said like, I wasn't worried about people coming in and being like, Hey, weren't you on days? And now you're working as a hostess like it was definitely a blow to the ego but what it did was it allowed me to see that I was way too hard on myself because I was working with people that really hadn't acted at all but were still aspiring actors so for me the worst thing in the world had happened like i had to go back to a normal job and uh and then I'm working with these people that just really hadn't, it, it just put things into perspective for me. So what that what that ended up doing was when I did have auditions, I went in there with a completely different attitude, which was that I have nothing to lose. The worst that could happen happened. So what do I care? So then, and this might sound arrogant or insensitive, I guess, but whatever, it, it needed to happen in order for what happened to happen. I went to this audition. Oh, hold on. Let me back up. I'm skipping ahead again. I I needed money and I reached out to my manager and I said, hey, can you get me a commercial agent? I know that that's like a crapshoot, but at least that's another opportunity. She couldn't really help me with that. So I had a neighbor who was a casting director and she put me in touch with somebody that did become my commercial agent and he sent me out on a Toyota commercial. And so I went to this Toyota commercial and the casting director was Rick Montgomery and he just kept staring at me. Very cool guy. Very chill. And he kind of was just like sparring with me throughout the audition and he kept bringing me in like he kept me around, which was strange. And I was like, cool, I'm going to get a callback for this. Didn't get a call back for it. But he had said to me in the room, he was like, hey, um, are, are you a theatrical actress? And I was like, yeah, I am. And he said, OK, who who's your reps? And I told him, and he's like, okay, I'd like to bring you in for this movie that I'm casting for. It's called Dumb and Dumber Two. And I was like, oh, okay. And he was like, you know, it's the Fairlies. And to be honest with you, I didn't know who any of these people were because ignorance is bliss for me. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, okay. So I called my manager and I told her, I was like, I think you're gonna be getting an incoming call from Rick Montgomery. Months went by. And I was like, Oh, he's blowing smoke up my butt. But then he ended up calling and I went in and worked with him on the sides for Penny. And then he brought me back for Pete and Bobby, who again, I still didn't do any research into who they were because I didn't want to psych myself out. Meanwhile, the guy that I'm dating at the time that I'm living with now is like, you're auditioning for the Fairleys? He's like, such a huge fan. He's like, how do you not know who they are? I'm like, don't tell me, don't tell me, don't tell me. (laughs) And so they bring me in for this final call where there's like four other actors and it's like notable actresses. And I walk in there and normally it would psych me out. But at this point now I'm working at the restaurant and I'm like, I got nothing to lose. Like, and these girls aren't in the position that I'm in. So like I'm more gritty and I'm going to get this. And I went in there and I, I, Jim was not there, but they hired a, an associate who acted so similar to Jim. It was amazing. And then we kind of got tipped off that I was going to get the part because a call came in before we got the offer that indicated that. So we were like, oh, my God, oh, my God. And then I got the offer and I was I was just so stoked, so stoked. I mean, like, I, I couldn't believe it. So then I go and I look up who the Fairleys are. And like, I was so excited. <laughs> um, and that was my first time, I think, that I got to film on location. They flew me out to Atlanta. And I was there for like, I think it ended up being eight weeks. And I didn't meet Jim until my very first day uh, having a scene with him, which was intense because he's uh, he was my childhood hero. Like, I, my sister and I grew up doing impersonations of him. We would like pretend we were on our own SNL sketch and write, write things pretending to be Ace Ventura. And we knew all the lines to all the movies. And I just never want to make actors feel like I'm going to be crazy and not be able to do my job. So I always just tell them right away. I went and I, I met Jim and I was like, hey, just so you know, like, I'm very nervous right now because I'm a big fan. But I promise I'll calm down enough to do our scenes in an hour. You don't have to worry. I can hold my own. I was like, "It's so nice to meet you," and he was just <laughs> so like loving and kind. And I'd met Jeff, I think, two days before Jim, and Jeff was just very much like which like Peter, which I think immediately just made me feel relaxed and comfortable. And he would just like ask questions to get to know me. And and they were they're both so different, which is why they work so well together. And it was really cool to watch how each of them approach work and handle work and handle being an actor. And one of the stories I love to tell about Jim specifically, just because this really broke my heart when it happened, like Jim is one of the most giving, insightful, kind people, and not to mention incredibly talented. Like when you're in a room with him, it doesn't feel like reality. You feel like you're high on drugs, like you're just floating. It's, it's the weirdest like aura he has. But we'd worked so many long days and he would stay two hours after signing autographs and all this stuff. Well, um, oh my God, what's the movie? Mockingjay. Oh my God. With Jennifer Lawrence. Why can't I think of the movie? The Hunger Games. Thank you. Oh my God. Thank you. (laughs) They were, they were filming in Atlanta at the same time. And Jim's very good friends with Woody Harrelson, as are the Fairleys, which I would come to to embarrassingly find out after talking to Woody. But anyway, (laughs) so, uh, Jim and Woody arranged to have like this joint party for the two productions. And when we were leaving the party, these two girls saw Jim and like flagged him down and were like, can you give us an autograph? And it was the first time I saw Jim go, you know what? I'm, I'm going to go home right now. I'm kind of done for the day. I'm so sorry. And they just walked away and they were like, what a dick. And I was like, if only you knew like, oh my gosh, it broke my heart and he just got in the car and he handled it so well. And we were driving with him because we were all at the same hotel It was, I I just like to tell that story because whoever might be listening when they have encounters like this with celebrities, especially at that level, it's just like the one time they're told, no, they don't realize that person's experience every other day of their life. So right. that was kind of eye-opening for me. And the other thing that was eye-opening with them is to hear Jim and Jeff talk about their struggles and frustration within within the industry were no different than mine at a different level. And I think that was kind of a moment where I thought, oh my God, all these things that you think are going to go away or your problems that are going to be solved when you hit this pinnacle they don't go away. They just look different. So that was really interesting. And obviously to watch somebody like Jim just work. I mean, he just fires off different takes in a row, constantly making different choices. I've never seen anything like it in my life.
1: Wow. That sounds
2: incredible. It was was very cool.
1: Um, Now I want to get into your return to days because Obviously, that's why we're talking today. But I will. I do want to mention to everybody. I could do a separate podcast just about you talking about meeting your husband and your wedding. So oh, yeah, I feel like true. we we could do that. Uh, I I did a pod.
2: Day. I did a podcast episode of the wedding before I decided to scrap it. <laughs> Yes, yeah, so, I, yeah.
1: I could only imagine. But we did uh, chronicle it on our website, as did you on your Instagram. Yes, if anyone has not you. read that, I would highly recommend it just to understand what Rachel has been through in the last uh, year. Um, OK, but next week you are returning to Days of Our Lives on screen. We are it's going to be for Victor's funeral. So please yes. tell us how your comeback came about 14 years after you were last there.
2: So I think, um, which I didn't mention to, this to you previously, because I, again, I think it just slipped my brain. I had been talking with my manager about potentially coming back to the soap just because I, I was ready again. Like it feels like a boot camp. It feels like a paid acting class, which is really cool. And I was just really kind of longing for those days again. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> so I, I had mentioned to my manager, I was like, maybe we can reach out because when I left ten. Ken Corday had said to me, and I will never forget these words because they meant so much, he said, I want you to go and become a movie star. And if you ever come back to daytime, don't you dare going, don't you dare go to another soap without coming to us first. And so I was like, that just meant so much to me. It meant so much to me that they never recast me in 14 years, but that they would mention my character. I have so many family members that watch days that would tell me this fans on social media that would tell me this. And that always just really meant a lot to me. And so I felt like the timing might be right to reach out. And this was, God, I don't even think, I think it was like spring of last year and they just said, okay, thank you for letting us know. And that was kind of it. And then when I heard that John Aniston had passed away, he is somebody that really made my days on days special. He just had this amazing presence where he was very easygoing. He felt, he felt very safe. Like that's the the biggest thing I can say about him. I always felt safe when he was around. And I mean, I mean that in every way that you can mean that his physical presence just made you feel calm and he was so funny. He was like, he would tell the best, dirtiest jokes. And they were so clever. And I just really appreciated it. And he was just he was just a great guy. So I really wanted to pay my respects. And when Peggy McKay had passed away, I didn't know until way after the fact. So I just really wanted to stay on top of it. And I had reached out to Martha Madison. And I just had said to her, hey, I-, I think you're still on the show right now. I know they film really far in advance. But if you are, do you know anything that might be going on with his funeral? And she was like, I haven't heard of anything, but I'll keep you posted. And I said, please do. And please put it out there that I would like to know. And I don't, you know, I I didn't talk to her again. I I didn't follow up. I I just assumed because of, you know, his daughter, Jennifer, that it was probably smaller and more private, which I totally understood. And I was like, oh, well, you know. And then um, I got a call one day. I think it was a Monday. And my manager said, "Days would like to invite you back to do Victor's memorial episode. And I said, that's great. And he said, they need you there Friday. And I said, that's great. (laughs) So. It happened super fast. It was, it was wild. I was very nervous going back. I had a 615 call time, partially because they had to do the COVID tests. And I hadn't even been on an audition really since COVID had happened. So I was nervous about the protocol with all of that. And I also live about two and a half hours outside of Los Angeles. So I had to like find people to stay with and get up super early and, and drive in. And so by the time I got to set, like there were no familiar faces, like nobody doing the COVID procedures, nobody at the stage manager's desk, even in the hair and makeup department, I didn't recognize a single person. And I was like, oh my God, this is so scary. And then I recognized Deidre, finally Deidre Decker, who does uh, makeup, which was awesome because I never got to have her do my makeup and she got to do my makeup, which was amazing. But it was just different. There was like all this plexiglass up from the pandemic and the dressing rooms looked identical, but it was weird not having my own. I was in someone else's, which was super strange, but I got super lucky. I didn't realize how many people had come back for that episode specifically. Jen Lilly, Lindsay Godfrey. Um, then there was, of course, Martha and Brandon Beamer and Lauren Koslow and Nadia Orlin and Eric Martsoff. And it was, it felt like when I saw all of them, because, well, remember, not that I ever told you, everyone had to stay in their dressing rooms, like before you'd hang out in everyone's dressing room, but because of the COVID protocol, everyone was still isolated. So I didn't know any of these people were there until we all went to stage. So then after that, you know, we were all hanging out against the law, because we're (laughs) (laughs) outlaws. So, and then that was really fun to catch up with everybody. And see people, and then, of course, certain producers and directors. It was like it was just it, it then it felt normal. And I was very nervous about how the five, four, three, two would go. Cause I'd been so used to action now and the camera like doing different setups. So I was nervous about the three cameras. Would I remember? It felt like riding a bike. It just all came back. It was super simple, it was super fun. Although the night before, so remember, my call time was 6 15, super early. I had to get up and leave at about 4.30 because I was staying with a friend in Ventura, which is outside of the city. And I'm never late. So I want to make sure I was there with plenty of time. But I went to bed at like eight. I went to Ventura so my girl could color my hair because my friend's a hair colorist. So she colored my hair. And as I get out of her chair, I'm like, okay, I just want to make sure because I didn't have access to a printer this whole time that I had all my material and I didn't overlook anything because I have this recurring dream notoriously where I return to days of our lives and I didn't get half my material. And then I'm flustered. So I was super paranoid that this was like a premonition. So I'm going through my emails again. And sure enough, there's like three attachments that never downloaded. So I'm like, oh, my God. So I open them all up. And I'm like, okay, that seems that's just a couple lines. The next one's like, okay, it's a couple pages, but that's fine. The next one's a full blown epic monologue. And I'm like, no, it was like a whole eulogy. So at eight o'clock at night, knowing I have to get up at 4 a.m., I'm like trying to memorize everything, but luckily the writing was so good. When the writing is good, it's just so much easier to stay in your brain because the thought process is there. So that was super easy, but it was a eulogy. So that meant I had to stand up in front of all my my acting peers, my peers of actors and like perform, which also biggest fear of mine. So of course I get up there and I look at all of them and I say, okay, I want you all to know that this is like my biggest fear come to life. And I didn't get this monologue until last night. So please- please be gentle. And everyone was so supportive. It started this thing where everyone clapped after everybody's eulogy. And I was like, this is so cool. It was so much fun. That's absolutely awesome. Um, Did it whet your appetite
0: at all to possibly make some more appearances or be back more regularly? Oh my
2: God. I would love to go back. So here's my thing with daytime. I've already said it multiple times. I love just doing one take and being done because for me, that's like, that's what an audition is. You have to make a choice. You have to commit to that choice, whether it's the right one or the wrong one for what the other person's envisioning. So for me, like to work that muscle again, just in and of itself is amazing. But if, of course, like that was my, I always joke that that was my college. I was on it from 19 to 23, 24 for four years. That was my acting school and it was fun. Who doesn't want to go back to like, for me, I don't want to say that was like a high point in my life, but it was one of the high points of my life. It was my first job. It was my first family in Los Angeles. And ev- like, there's a lot of familiar faces still. It feels like going back to your family. It feels like a family reunion. And I I loved my character. I thought my character was, was like Kate. She was so dynamic and complex and she was good hearted, but she was a little mischievous and Richard Bloor is back. I'm sure he's been back for forever, but he wasn't there when I left. So the fact that he's the costume designer again, makes me super happy because I loved getting dressed in his designs. So that was super fun. It's just a fun job. It's so much fun. And it's, it's great in that you can actually look at it as a nine to five and go home and have a normal life. That's just not your career all the time, constantly. So I think there's a lot of aspects of it that are very appealing to me, especially now at this time in my life. I would love to go back.
1: Uh, would that include another soap town if Salem, if the Salem uh, Inn was it full? Would. <laughs>
2: right. it would. Absolutely. This conversation just happened with my manager. So we're, yeah, we're. We're working on it. All right. Well, you never yeah. know. Great. Yeah. Well, I
1: can't believe we've come to the end of this, but before we let you go, can you put into words, you know, I mean, I think you have a little bit already, but just how getting cast as Chelsea, you know, changed the course of your life.
2: Oh my God. It's the the whole reason I have a career, to be honest with you. it's It's interesting how many people watch soaps in general, but specifically when it comes to casting directors, I think they watch them because they're fun. But I also think they're scouting. And that's actually good for actors to know that are on a soap. Like just always, always try your best because A, you want to look back and be proud of what you did. But B, you never know who's watching. And the other thing I do want to say, I know it's not kind of like doesn't answer that question you just asked. But I do do want to say just like since the news went out that I'm coming back, the response from fans has been so overwhelming and exciting for me. And again, I'm not one that's comfortable with attention. And so in the past, I feel like it was very overwhelming for me to have people be so excited. And and now it's I'm more comfortable with it. So it's really fun. And social media didn't exist then. So now I, to get to interact with people, it's really exciting. And that's made it like kind of alluring to come back to also. So yeah, I just wanted to throw that in there as a little thank you to the fans. Perfect.
1: Well, yeah. we hope you have more reason to thank them. We hope we're going to be talking to you again yeah. soon for another reason. Yeah. But we're so happy you were able to join us today. And um, I look forward to seeing the episode and just what everyone does with it.
2: Yeah, same. It's going to be a really good episode. There were a lot of very strong performances. I was very impressed.
1: Excellent. Well, thanks so yeah. much, Rachel. And thank have a great you. day. We'll thank talk you to you soon. Too. Okay. okay, bye. bye. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to Rachel Melvin for being our guest. If you like this podcast, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to pick up a new issue on sale now and come back next week for another podcast. One, two, three, four.